Welcome to Because People Count, the Accountancy Europe podcast. This podcast tackles the hottest topics for the European accountancy profession. Get your need-to-know update from Brussels. Welcome back. A few episodes ago, we spoke about the future of audit and how the profession must remain relevant from auditors working today. This time, we're going to listen to what regulators have to say to us. To that end, we'll hear about the consultation into Restoring Trust in Audit and Corporate Governance from the UK Government's Department of Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, or BASE. To get a clear picture of what's going on, I'm very pleased to be joined by Mark Babington, Executive Director of Regulatory Standards from the Financial Reporting Council, or FRC. In the UK, the FRC regulates auditors and accountants and sets the UK's corporate governance and stewardship codes. So they're at the heart of this discussion. Mark, can you please introduce yourself? Yes, thank you. So as you said, I'm the Executive Director for Regulatory Standards at the FRC. The division covers the FRC's public and technical policy work in all of the, the main areas. So looking at audit, the, the setting of standards, technical standards and ethical standards for corporate reporting. So not just accounting standards, but the guidance we produce to support narrative reporting as well the corporate governance and stewardship codes, actuarial standards for technical actuarial work. And we also include the well-known FRC lab, which looks at best practice in financial reporting and wider reporting, and, and also our work in terms of stakeholder engagement and corporate affairs. So a broad span of responsibilities and obviously many of the areas in the consultation are very relevant to the work that we do. And what's the overall approach of the consultation? Uh, what's under consideration? Well, I think the key message is that the consultation itself is a very broad one. So I think the positive message is it recognises that good quality governance, the way companies are run, has an impact on the quality and transparency of its reporting, both in terms of financial reporting, but, but wider corporate reporting. And that also then has an impact on audit because high quality reporting supported by a robust evidence base with clear explanations and, and sound internal control and governance is going to drive a better outcome. So I think it's really important that this consultation is not just proposing to do things in one part of that landscape, it's actually looking at the way it comes together. You only have to think about it. Corporate governance, corporate reporting, audit, they're all sort of stops, but on the same journey. So you can't consider them in isolation. Exactly. It's an approach that sets itself out to an ecosystem level where we're looking more broadly into the wider corporate governance debate. What are the proposals from BASE regarding directors? The key things that will be perhaps of most interest to stakeholders are firstly, the government has set out a series of three options for a UK framework rather like Sarbanes-Oxley in the US. So the consultation includes three options as to how far this should go. It would offer a key way of strengthening internal control and also transparency of reporting over how effective that control framework is for the benefit of investors and other stakeholders in companies. 
So I think this is a, a really important part of the debate and, and it's really good to see this. However, from a director's perspective, there are some other areas as well that are highly relevant. So at the moment, when we have to take enforcement action, if something goes wrong, we can take enforcement action against an auditor and we can take enforcement against a professional accountant. However, we don't have enforcement powers in respect to the corporate governance code itself over directors. And indeed, if we have a director of a company who is an accountant and they choose to resign the membership of their professional body, it's impossible for us to take any action. And so therefore, I'm really pleased that included in the consultation proposals are options for the new regulator that will follow the FRC, ARGA, to have powers of enforcement over directors subject to a suitable threshold and test. So that will offer far more teeth to be able to step in and take action where something has happened that has perhaps resulted in the demise of a company or resulted in a significant loss of confidence on the part of investors or other stakeholders. The other things that I would also flag is that you'll remember in 2016, the audit regulation came in and it defined and set in place a much more robust regulatory framework for public interest entities. And when that happened, the UK government did not designate any bodies other than those required by the European regulation as public interest entities. But this consultation sets out options to expand the definition, which was one of Sir John Kingman's key recommendations in his independent review of the FRC. So we will now see other entities which might not meet the European regulation public interest entity definition itself, but which have a significant public interest impact if anything were to go wrong because of the impact on jobs or pensions or suppliers, and they would be brought into that definition. So I think that's a, a really important part of this consultation. I wanted to move on a little bit to the role of audit committees. This is something that as Accountancy Europe, we've been discussing a lot, specifically in the area of sustainable corporate governance and the role that audit committees must play there. But they're also a key building block for corporate governance and making sure that corporate governance, uh, the checks and balances are running smoothly. So how does the consultation see their role evolve? I think it's fair to say that the consultation recognises the hugely important role that audit committees play. And we know from our dealings with stakeholders that out there, there are some very effective audit committees doing great work, properly providing stewardship over the financial controls process, risk, all of those components that make up high quality reporting and management. However, um, there are two particular areas where the consultation looks into proposals that could further strengthen that. The first is whether or not there should be almost a set of minimum standards for audit committees. So should there be more of a framework to guide what the expectations are on the audit committee to ensure that there is broader consistency in the marketplace and entities are operating at a level which underpins the public confidence that's required. So I think that that is, is a really key 
aspect. The other thing is, of course, the audit committee has the responsibility for recommending to the board of a company the recommendation for the appointment of an auditor. One of the points that was made is whether there should be regulatory oversight of that process for the regulator to be able to ask questions where, for instance, something unusual happens through that tendering process. There are concerns that the process won't deliver a high quality auditor who can robustly challenge management. And I think really as well to be able to look into occasions where perhaps a company and their auditor part company out of the usual cycle. And that's a really important piece of this consultation because certainly in the UK, we've started to see more examples reported in the press of companies that might struggle to make an auditor appointment. It's really important to understand the reasons for that and to be able to have an open discussion over whether or not there are regulatory measures that can make those companies a more attractive prospect to audit. In the consultation, what changes can auditors and audit firms expect? We recently published two papers. One was on going concern and another was on fraud. What are the proposals on the purpose and scope of the audit, especially concerning those those areas? You'll be aware from um, Sir Donald Bryden's report that he made a number of recommendations which would expand the scope of audit and also focus its purpose more clearly, perhaps going beyond the traditional focus of acting in the interests of a company's shareholders. So it's good to be able to have that debate. And I think, you know, particularly coming out of the pandemic, a lot of people have said that they would invest in companies and they would buy from companies that did the right thing. And therefore, having transparency over that is, I think, absolutely critical. One of the things that I should say is that although there's a lot in the consultation, there are a number of things where we have already started to to act under our own powers and initiative. So like Accountancy Europe, we have revised last year our standard for auditors looking at going concern to strengthen the focus, put in an enhanced risk assessment and also to put in place enhanced reporting over the work that the auditor's done to allow them to conclude that management's use of the going concern assertion is appropriate. We've also recently concluded a consultation which strengthens the auditing standard looking at fraud and what an auditor has to do there. And I think in part because some of our stakeholders were concerned that the existing international standard was possibly ambiguous in certain respects, that it could be misinterpreted. So therefore what we've sought to do is address that because these are two critical areas that are absolutely fundamental to people having confidence in an audit. And I think, you know, as as you'll have seen as well, again, linked to the pandemic, a lot more stakeholders will have concerns about the ability of companies to remain a going concern with perhaps their operations restricted or curtailed because of public health measures. And indeed, with people working differently and people having to operate differently, is there a greater risk that a company could be exposed to fraud? We had a, an interview, in fact, some months back with the chair of our anti-money laundering group, and she was telling us about opportunities that fraudsters may have found during this time. What other measures are aimed at strengthening audit quality? I think there are a number of things that can be done 
at the level of the standards where we've already started to put enhanced requirements on the auditor. But I think it's important to take a step back and remember that this is about the ecosystem as a whole. So you can't just place requirements only on the auditor. One of the things, and it sits at the heart of this consultation, is should there be further obligations on the directors of a company to report more, particularly information that perhaps relates to the future prospects of a company? So should there be greater transparency over that? Should directors be required to make statements in their annual report about steps that they've taken to protect the company from the risk of fraud or to strengthen internal control? And then rather than that being subject to a lower level of assurance, should it be subject to a higher level of assurance like the financial statements themselves? So I think this is a really good opportunity, not only to think about how an auditor is doing their work and what they're required to do, but it's also what are the directors required to report? And is that additional information that's proposed in the consultation also going to help the quality of reporting and allow the auditor to provide perhaps um, more helpful assurance to users of annual reports and financial statements. And I think, you know, that also includes the debate about what needs to happen in respect of non-financial information more widely. The new and different types of reporting and then the kind of focus on the long-term rather than the short-term results for companies seems to fit in quite well here. Yeah, and non-financial reporting brings with it a new set of challenges that we have to address. So certainly everyone I speak to when we engage with stakeholders, they're very passionate about climate and ensuring that the impact a company has on the environment is properly reported. That needs to fit into a wider framework that supports ESG reporting more widely. I believe it should be supported by a consistent conceptual framework. And I think also we have to think about what's needed um, in order for this to be done and done in a way that supports high quality reporting. So a point I would make is that some of the data and some of the data systems that support ESG reporting will not be as mature as those that are used to support financial reporting. As a result, there may be more judgment and less consistency and comparability in the way that these companies report. So therefore, we're really going to have to ensure that um, there's a proper framework in place. And in that respect, we really welcome the work of the IFRS Foundation trustees in, in looking at whether or not there should be a sustainability standards board. But of course, standard setting itself is not a quick process. And therefore, until those standards are available, what needs to be done in the meantime? So in the UK, government are consulting also on mandatory TCFD reporting. So all of these things will have a significant impact on the work that directors and auditors do and the information that is reported to stakeholders and assured for them. In the consultation, measures are also being proposed to increase choice in the audit market. Can you explain what the FRC has been doing regarding the operational separation between audit and non-audit arms of audit firms and what the consultation is proposing? This is an area where we've already done quite a lot of work. So we have engaged with the largest firms, really looking at this from a resilience perspective. 
to say, what is the threat to audit quality? What's the threat to the firm? And so, therefore, what we've proposed is operational separation, which ring fences the audit business and puts it under a separate board. And the reason for doing that is, firstly, it ensures that the primary focus of that board is on the quality of the audit work that's delivered, rather than perhaps some of the other considerations and more commercial considerations that come from the provision of other services, and to ensure that the focus is on delivering a firm that is resilient and able to continue to work in the marketplace. But as is the case in a number of other jurisdictions, in the UK, the big four firms have a very significant market share, a very strong position. And one of the things that the consultation is looking at is, could we improve the resilience of the market by having other players in that market taking on a larger share of work and some of the proposals are there really to provide a way to encourage those challenger firms to invest in growing the capacity of their business to be able to take on larger and more complex audits and so therefore you have greater diversity in the marketplace and greater resilience as a result of having more players and the way that we're, we're looking at that is through this concept of shared audit rather than joint audit as something that works effectively within the UK liability laws and will offer a way to provide those companies with a, a business case to invest in growing their capacity. And more specifically, how would a shared audit work? So effectively, it offers a way for a company, say a group company, to identify components which may have their own statutory audit which could be given to challenger audit firms as a way of building their capacity, allowing them to take on larger and more complex jobs. And I think also increasing their exposure to audit committees in large companies as a way of helping them to build their credibility so that when audit mandates come up for tender, it's not just a case of thinking of the usual suspects, there might be more players in. And it's encouraging that actually we've seen in, in the UK since the CMA reported BDO, for instance, winning a number of mandates in, in the FTSE market and increasing its share as it's invested in its business and grown. Relating to the role of the pandemic and where we are right now with the release of this consultation, do you think that the consultation has a different weight or has a different meaning considering the context? Because I know this has been an ongoing process in the UK over many years, but the time we find ourselves right now in couldn't have been envisaged when it was first started. Do you see any effects of the pandemic uh, with the consultation as, as it's come out? I think the most important thing, most important lesson to learn from the pandemic is that we worked very closely with other regulators, including the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority, to issue a joint statement and guidance. And that guidance was all about the provision of high quality information to support decision making and the function of the capital markets. So what it goes to show is that the pandemic brought with it great uncertainty. And actually, that great uncertainty showed the need for higher quality reporting 
and the provision of reliable information to ensure that financial markets could continue to function. And the other thing is the view of stakeholders, which is wanting to be able to give their business and invest in companies that they felt did the right things. And so therefore, I think that is a really important part. Of course, the other thing is that we know that the government is very focused on ensuring that the UK is seen as a good place to do business in. And good corporate governance, strong corporate governance, effective reporting and high quality audit are all really important components in making any jurisdiction a good place to do business. Hopefully we will see a more resilient market that can absorb these kind of shocks because what is it, a year and one month ago, nobody could see this coming. And we certainly have a different concept of what we need to be in business today. Did you have any final thoughts, any, any things we might not have covered? Well, your last comment showed the real importance of innovation and the ability to be able to work in different ways. And I think what it's also shown is that stakeholders do have clear expectations of what they want to see from companies and what they want to see from auditors as well. And the, the proposals in the government's consultation are very, very much focused on delivering that. So I think that that is the key message to ensure that we're able to look at the system as a whole and not pick off individual pieces. Because when you do something, be it in corporate governance, reporting or audit, it will have an impact in other areas and actually understanding how this bigger picture fits together and acting holistically to address all of the stakeholder needs in an effective way is really, really important and a great opportunity. Is there anything that we can share with our audience, share in our show notes to let people learn a bit more about the consultation and the FRC's work around it? So you'll see that We've got material on our website to support the uh, consultation itself. We're also in the process of recording a series of webinars and podcasts to explain different aspects of the consultation. And those will be coming out over the next few weeks. Some of them have already started. And indeed, we had one earlier this morning where there were over 200 people who joined a discussion. So if any of your members are looking at our website, they can see an opportunity to sign up for those or perhaps watch the ones that have been recorded. But it'll all be there on the website and uh, available for you to see. That's wonderful. We'll make sure to have all of those links ready to go for people who are curious to check it out. Thank you for your time and I wish you all the best. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Because People Count, the Accountancy Europe podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave us a rating or review and subscribe. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcasting apps. Get in touch. We are at AccountancyEU on Twitter, and you can contact me at Andrea at AccountancyEurope.eu. This podcast is presented and edited by Andrea Campbell with support from Yulia Keys. Our music is Fearless First by Kevin MacLeod under a Creative Commons license. See you next time, because people count.